Hello everybody, welcome back to another brand new episode of The Casual Criminalist. I, as always, am your host. Welcome to the show. What happens is one of my writers, in this case Arnaldo, has written me a script, The Spectacular Stockholm Helicopter Heist. I've never read it before, that's the format here. It's a cold read. We're gonna go through it together. We're gonna explore. We're gonna learn. And afterwards, a wonderful video editor, Jen, is going to, uh, well, do the video editing thing. Or if you're listening to this as a podcast, the audio. Yes, yes, that's how it works. Should we jump in? Or before we do... If you're uh, enjoying this podcast, why not review it? I see those reviews coming in on Spotify. We've got like 5,000 of them now, with a five-star average rating. Which, uh, might I say it, quite impressive. <laughs> Blow your own horn, why don't you, Simon? Yes! But, uh, leave a review. It'll probably drop now, because people will be like, Simon's a bit of a dick, isn't he? <laughs> he loves himself a bit too much. Uh, it doesn't matter. Let's, uh, let's just get into the show, shall we? Twenty third of September, two thousand and nine. It is yet to dawn over the vast burger district of Stockholm, but the G4S cash depot is already coming to life. This facility, owned by the huge security company, is one of the main hubs in Sweden for the collection and redistribution of cash to banks, ATMs, and small employers. And today is payday. Isn't there a there's that bank robbing game called Payday, which I've never played, but I often see it in Steam, and I'm like, I bet I'd enjoy the shit out of that. There's something so exciting. I love bank robbery movies for some reason. It's like, yeah, go on. the man. Take that money. But uh, obviously bank robbery is wrong. <laughs> G4S, by the way, the security company. I think they're one of the largest. Like, they have as many people on their staff as, like, militaries. Like, some militaries. I, d- I, don't, wanna, I don't think it's true, but I think that they have more security staff than, like, the British military or something. It's absolutely wild. You don't want G4S to do a coup. And then it's like, suddenly it's like, oh no, G4S now run the country. It's a dictatorship. Uh-oh. Allegedly, I'm not saying that G4S is planning that. In fact, they're almost certainly not. They're probably like, look how much money we're making. Sweet. The six-story building topped by a pyramid-shaped skylight may appear to the malicious mind as a layer cake stuffed with a delicious filling. A billion Swedish kroner in cash roughly $150 million. Around 5am, night shift team leader Oscar Lindgren walks into the armored room where most of the cash is being held. Lindgren and his staff are about to clock out. Nothing to report so far. All is fine. All is quiet. Well, not so quiet. The air is filled by the sounds of hundreds of thousands of banknotes rattling through the counting machines. It's an obstinate, dull, repeating noise. Some may say that this is the drumbeat that makes the world spin. That's nicely put. <laughs> Money makes the world go round, essentially. Today, Lindgren notices something else. It's like a second drummer has joined the band, one who doesn't care for keeping the same time signature as the steady march of the rattling notes. Another loud vibration is filling the room. Something is shaking. But what exactly? Let me guess. It's a helicopter. It's gonna smash through that glass seat. This sounds like a movie. This better be made into a movie someday. Lingren asks his colleagues to shut off the counting machines, and then he realizes the walls of the buildings themselves are trembling. Another thrumming sound joins the ensemble, jamming Lingren's ears with yet more confusion. The drilling noise comes from above this time, and it's not hard to discern what it is. It's the rotor of a helicopter. Ah, big brain flying above the G4S building. Very low dangerously low. Lindgren's team often joked about robbers attacking from above, smashing through the pyramid skylight. It does that. I mean, it's like, yeah, you put a giant glass thing in the top of your building, of your super secure building. That's exactly how people would rob it. Ha 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 ha. Hilarious. 
until it happens. Well, one of them quips, it seems the day has finally arrived. Oscar Lindgren leaves the cash room to investigate the source of the noise. I'll tell you what it is, Oscar. It's a big helicopter, and it's about to do exactly what you think it's going to do. He reaches the building's internal courtyard and looks up. Beyond the skylight, he can see the shadowy silhouette of a large craft. A helicopter is hovering above the roof of the building. He then notices one of the glass panes of the pyramid has been smashed in, and two ladders have been lowered through the opening. It's not bulletproof glass. It's just glass that can be smashed with a ladder. <laughs> Come on, G4S. You could do better than this. You're like the biggest security company ever. More worryingly, one, two, three men dressed in black and wearing motorbike helmets have descended into the courtyard. As he sprints back into the cash room, he shouts, It's for real. They are here. <laughs> it seems that that day has finally arrived. On the 23rd of September 2009, a well-organized team of professional robbers used a stolen helicopter to raid a G4S cash deposit in the Vastberger district of Stockholm, Sweden's capital. Eventually, everything about this heist was spectacular. The planning, the execution, the getaway, and the loot. 39 million kroner, or 8.7 million US dollars, in 2020 money. I'll tell you what, that's a lot of cash. Even in $100 bills, that's a lot of cash. Like a million dollars, surprisingly, fits in a shopping bag. Like a, a decent, it fills a shopping bag with hundred dollar bills. So that's 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 a couple of suitcases just full of cash in dollars, and maybe it could be smaller bills in in kroner. I don't know. Several accounts of the robbery, especially those written in two thousand and nine and two thousand and ten, highlight how the Swedish police have been tipped off by the Serbian foreign ministry weeks in advance and it's hinted that the swedish police had failed to act upon the tip or had downright ignored it this happens all the time wasn't that famous slight like, terrorist attack in belgium and it's like yeah it turns out the police had been told about that <laughs> just hadn't done it like, come on really without spoiling it too much in advance let me tell you the truth is far more complex sure we love a good heist especially non-violent ones and we may <laughs> i love how people love these it's like i started as i love bank robbing robbing movies yeah the man and it's also like but i don't rob banks i keep my money in banks and i'll be upset if someone robbed my money but it's insured so you're like okay but then you're like well the insurance company's gonna raise the bank's premiums and then the bank's gonna chart give me less interest on my money and you're all like yeah but it's entertaining isn't it <laughs> and we even begrudgingly admire the brains brawns and brass appendages of those who carry it out but we should not overlook the ingenuity and determination of police officers and prosecutors who go after these real life Ocean's Elevens. So, I hope today's story will give the Swedish police the right amount of credit that they deserve. Now, before we get into the description of this hellish helicopter heist, a word of warning for Simon and our audience. Apparently, Swedes like their robberies to be like their flat pack furniture. In other words, it's plenty of small moving parts coordinated by a set of instructions which may leave many dads shouting in angered confusion while the kids learn plenty of new words which mum does not approve of. That's my experience, at least. Oh my god, on Alvo. <laughs> speaking exactly the words that i would say it's like where is the where's the bloody final screw like here and then every time every single time i'm like oh here it is now like i've done furniture from like other companies you know where it's not ikea and it arrives and it's like the instructions are half in chinese and you're like what's going on and then there are missing screws and it drives me absolutely potty and i'm like so used to doing ikea furniture you're like of course there's no missing screws why would there be missing screws and then you're like oh no this is not this isn't like ikea they can be missing and it's very disheartening whereas with ikea you know you're the one being an idiot which is even more frustrating isn't it because you're like look at my stupid brain's limitations so dear simon turn the page for a sheet of instructions as a reference should you feel lost at any point this should facilitate you in effortlessly reconstructing the assemblage of today's chronicle of misappropriation please do not read out loud before the actual story oh sorry <laughs> okay 
Uh, okay, so... <laughs> is this... I'm sure there's copyright on this image, but let's just show it on the screen quickly. And it's... I know Arnaldo said not to show this, but it's too entertaining. It's like a fake uh, robbery thing from Sweden by Ikea, and it's like a helicopter being put together like an Ikea diagram. That'd be cool. It would definitely be one where it's got, you know, that Ikea thing where it's like, help, have a friend help you. And I always end up assembling those by myself. Because f*** you, Ikea. Okay, so Arnildo has given me a list of characters. Oh my god, there's a lot of them. He's also given me a list of locations. Tell you what, let's put these in the description below. Let's put these in the description below so people can have a look down on YouTube and uh, if they just get a little bit lost. Because I'll be looking back at these, no doubt. Or maybe I'll just help you along. Let's just, let's just get into the story. I'm sorry if I'm sounding a little uh, nasal today. I have a cold, but I'm about to go on a week's holiday. So, uh, I'm at work and I'm making criminalists. So you have something to, to watch while I'm away. That's a lie. There's already like 10 episodes recorded, but I don't like getting too far behind. Fascinating story, Simon. Thank you. Looters from the skies. The main action of the helicopter heist took place at around 5.20am on the 23rd of September 2009, but some members of the gang have been at work since much earlier. Good. I like to hear this because normally it's like, yeah, yeah, he decided to do a robbery. So he drove his own car with his own gun to the bank and then he robbed the bank and he immediately got caught. You know, because, uh, how's it go? Poor planning leads to piss poor performance is what my history teacher used to say. And he's bang on especially about robberies. At approximately half past four, a robber disguised in a balaclava broke into a police helicopter depot located in Mittinge, 40 kilometers north of Stockholm. The man dropped two packages, one in front of the hangar housing the choppers, the other close to the fuel tanks. If we could zoom into those packages, we'd notice a red LED blinking with sinister promise. Uh-oh, someone's doing some... Bu- this already sounds like it's getting very violent. An explosive device? The man left the hangar undisturbed and walked into the nearby woods. He then set fire to his gloves, his balaclava, his burglar tools, and he left the scene. So far, this is well planned, well executed. Burning the evidence is uh, always recommended. <laughs> what was it, that rule that I think is like, if the, uh, if the punishment for the crime that you've committed is worse than the punishment for destroying evidence, you should absolutely be destroying that evidence. <laughs> so he's burning the gloves in the woods. Smart criminal. Around the same time, too, I have no idea if that's work, if that's how it works. If you destroy evidence that is like evidence of a murder, is that more serious than destroying evidence of like you pirating the latest James Bond movie? Like deleting the movie off your computer afterwards? That, that feels like less of a crime. It's probably not a crime, is it? It's probably like a copyright infringement, which is a civil offense, so they can sue you. Is that a crime? Those warnings in the cinema are always like, the FBI will come after you. Not that I've... <laughs> now people definitely know that I've allegedly pirated stuff in the past, because why would I see the FBI warning? <laughs> well, sometimes you get it on, like, DVDs and stuff, for some reason. Like, back in the day, you'd just be watching a legit DVD, and it would be like, FBI, what's about this? And it's like, FBI? What, are you, like, Scotland Yard or some shit? Oh my god, sorry for the tangent. Let's get back to it. I don't even remember what we're talking about. Oh yeah, burning evidence. Okay. Around the same time, two men were breaking into another helicopter hangar, this time a civilian one, located in Nortalja. Look, I'm just not going to try with the Swedish pronunciations because it interrupts the flow and I don't want to look them up because I just like reading. Look, this, I know it, it feels incredibly lazy to you, dear listener, but 
I get to do this job where I just get to read these things and it's really nice. I just get to do, like sit down, turn on the camera and read these wonderful things that I've had written for me. And it's a bit like reading a book, which is nice. And you know what you do when you read a book? You don't look up pronunciations of like random towns you've never heard of. And I don't like interrupting my enjoyment to make a better video. <laughs> so I just have to live with it. All right. Uh, anyway, this town, which I'm getting the pronunciation of it wrong, is 160 kilometers north of Stockholm. The robbers forced their way into a red and white Bell 206 Jet Ranger chopper, switched on the engine, and took off, heading south. About half an hour later, in eastern Stockholm, another much lesser incident was taking place. A white Toyota had collided with the black Audi. A very mild collision with no injuries and very little damage involved. The driver of the Toyota took some photos of the insurance claim and then shook hands with the driver of the Audi. The latter signed the insurance papers as Alexander Ericsson, a TV producer, cameraman, and amateur helicopter pilot. He had a history of cocaine and amphetamine use, an addiction in which he may have relapsed to after a stressful assignment in Malaysia. This guy's life sounds fascinating. He's a TV producer, cameraman, amateur helicopter pilot, and he does cocaine and has to travel to Malaysia. Mate, what is your life? But let's put a pin on Mr. Ericsson for the moment, as we'll come across him his name later. Let's now focus our gaze on the main stage of the action, the G4S building in Vassburger. At approximately 5.20am, the Bell 206 chopper landed gently on the roof of the cash depot. Three masked men climbed out, one of them smashed in the pyramid skylight with a sledgehammer, and the other two immediately swooped in, lowering two long ladders through the breach. That's when our friend Oscar Lindgren took notice of the raid taking place. Once he rushed back into the armored cash room, he instructed his team to throw as much cash as they could down the chutes, leading to a more secure vault. Other bundles of notes had already been secured inside padlocked metal cages. He then gathered the stuff... <laughs> You know who else is on this heist? Lock picking lawyers like binding on the one. <laughs> I love this channel lately. I've watched like so many of his back videos. It's this uh it's an amazing channel where a dude just picks locks and is like it's super chill and it's like no lock can stop him. Like you I feel like if he came to visit me, it would be quicker for him to just he wouldn't even ring the bell. He'd just be like binding on one. <laughs> and then it comes out and be like binding and then he'd be like hi <laughs> he goes he goes to work and he's just like i don't even carry keys i just carry my daily carry thing amazing the shit i watch on youtube is so bizarre like really is he then gathered the staff in a corner of the room and asked them to wait for help in the meanwhile the reed robbers had blown up a bulletproof window with a small explosive device and entered the offices. They broke open a door and found themselves just outside the cash room. A reinforced steel door was the only defense between them and the loot. Inside the room, panic was spreading like wildfire. In the G4S alarm center located somewhere in Stockholm, a guard on duty received an urgent phone call from Lindgren. The team lead was worried about his panicked co-workers. The robbers were just outside the steel door. Should they wait, or should they make a sortie, risking a confrontation with the robbers? No! It's just money! F***ing surrender! Like, even... If I was in this situation, if I was racing this cash room, I'd wave at them through the window, put the hands interlocked behind the back of my head like you see in the movies and get down on my knees. I'd just be like, I am surrendering. You're not here to murder me. You're not like, and you're wearing masks. So we're all good. I've not seen your face. I'm even going to close my eyes. Nothing is happening. Look, blah, 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 blah. I can't even hear you. I don't even hear your voice. Just take the money and leave. Obviously, I'd be saying this in Swedish. Uh, I assume that if I worked for G4S in Sweden, I would speak Swedish and um yeah i'd just be like take the money it's just money am i gonna get fired probably do i give a sh no i'm alive it'd be like simon's such a coward it's just money <laughs> more importantly it's just someone else's money 
Before the guard could provide advice, an explosion thundered at the other side of the line and Lindgren's phone went dead. By now, G4S security guards had already alerted the police, who immediately sent orders to their own pilots and Matinge to take off. The pilots on duty rushed to get to the chopper, <laughs> as my Austrian namesake would put it. Oh, note. This is a reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Predator. Wait, was Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Predator, Pre- Predator called on that called Ronaldo? It's been a long time since I've seen Predator. But wow, okay, there you go. But the cops found a small surprise. Wait, is Arnaldo? Wait, 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 I see. Arnaldo's Italian. Is Arnold is Arnaldo the Italian version of Arnold? That would kind of make sense. That makes more sense than his character in Predator being Arnold Arnaldo. Okay. Great. Mystery solved. Carrying on. Now, I know you've never heard of this man, but his actual name, believe it or not, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. But the cops found a small surprise. A mysterious box with a blinking light deposited just next to their hangars. Oh, this is genius. It's not even a bomb. It's just a blinking light. And they're going to be like, oh, God, we can't get to our choppers because that could be a bomb. And we've got to call the bomb squad. So it's just to delay them. Ah, genius. And more worryingly, there was a box by the supply tank containing six thousand gallons of fuel some reports of the event state that the officers at matinge were stumped by a mysterious package with the word bomb scrawled on it (laughs) even if you could even if you wrote hey guys this might be a bomb look at that flashing led they'd still have to call it in because they'd be like well and then they open it up and it's just like nothing it's just you know a box filled with like paper and they'd still have to call it in because better safe than sorry crazy which sounds like something Wiley e. Coyote would buy from the Acme Corporation. The reality was less farcical on, uh, and far more worrying. Logically, the personnel on duty preferred to call in the bomb disposal squad before taking any risks. With the police helicopters grounded, the chopper raiders could get on with their job. At 5.38am, a reinforced door to the cash room collapsed after a third explosive charge had gone off. The three robbers strutted in, Kalashnikovs and handguns at the ready. Luckily, Lindgren and his staff had already vacated the room by using another exit. The three- oh, okay, there was another exit? Well, obviously I wouldn't surrender then, I'll just go through that exit and try to leave. The three masked raiders were free to unleash their power tools, circular saws, uh, with which they broke into the metal cages containing the cash. Outside the building, the first police patrols were arriving on the scene, or rather they were trying to, as their cars almost drove into a perimeter of chains strung across the streets and lined with caltrops. Wow, those are those, uh, it's those little, uh, um, oh god, how would you describe it? It's like a thing you throw on the ground that punctures tires with little pins, and it'll always be one nail is pointing upwards, you know? As a non-native English speaker, I had to check what a caltrop was. Okay. <laughs> All right, Simon, sometimes you should read these ahead. It's basically a four-spiked metal nail designed to puncture car tires. There you go. Caltrops are to cars what Lego bricks are to barefoot dads of space, basically. Yeah, oh my god. We don't have Lego yet for my kids. We have Duplo, which is like big version of Lego. And sometimes I'll tread on one of those bastards. And I'm like, this is just the beginning. It's going to get so much worse with Lego. And when a dad finds a perimeter of colorful bricks, he knows better than to advance. The first police units on site were of the same persuasion. Here they had a gang who had assaulted a cash depot with a helicopter who had detonated explosives and had prevented the arrival of police forces by cordoning off the area with chains. Don't police cars have run-flat tires? Even cars these days have run-flat tires. I don't know if I have run-flat tires. I've never got a puncture. But then if you get a puncture, they're like, you have to go to the... I don't think I do. But they're fairly common on cars. You can get them. 
Clearly, they were facing some pretty hardcore professionals. Better way for their own hardcore SWAT teams. And they did so. Cops on the scene set up a command center at a nearby gas station where they were soon joined by one Johan Peterson. A former military captain, Peterson was the chief of security for the G4S deposit. He fired up his laptop and logged into the CCTV feed, revealing the images of three commando-like robbers soaring their way into piles of cash. Peterson noticed two very interesting details. First, there were no bombs placed by the entrance, which could allow for a tactical team to burst in. Second, the robbers were getting tired of hoarding bundles of banknotes. You know, it's a hard job where you're like, my arms are tired, I can't lift any more money. <laughs> you know you're doing a good robbery when your arms are tired. When the cash you're stealing becomes so much that you couldn't be asked with doing some extra lifting, it's a clear signal that you should call it quits. Shortly after, the motivation though is to be like, each armful is worth like hundreds of thousands of pounds. Like, come on. Ah. Oh. I should go to the gym. Shortly after 5.40am, in fact, the gang dragged their sacks full of cronus to the inner courtyard and started climbing up the ladders. The helicopter, which had been hovering until then, descended upon the roof. The gang hauled the sack after sack of booty up the ladders and into the chopper. A tiresome endeavor, surely, so much so that one of them slipped onto the bottom rung, leaving a trace of blood. Oh, no! No! No, it's all going wrong. This is critically important. Finally, the three raiders climbed onto their Bell 206, slid the doors shut, and took off into the Stockholm dawn. It was by now time for the gang to execute their well-prepared getaway. That little bit of blood behind, left behind, feels like a CSI episode where Greg's gonna be like, It's blood, Gil. <laughs> the helicopter flew to the southwest of Stockholm, making a landing in Norsberg. Part of the heist squad climbed out before the bell lifted off again. The chopper made a second landing by the Lake Malaren west of Stockholm. Here, other team members disembarked, boarded some pre-prepared speedboats, and thundered off into the watery horizon. This is a movie. I love it. But the pilot still had finished his shift. He took off once again before touching down in a forest north of Stockholm. He's going to burn that helicopter, surely. The pilot turned off the rotors, locked the craft, and walked towards the nearest town, Tabby. On the ground, he had dropped some plastic zip ties and a handheld GPS unit. Why? Just throw that into the helicopter and set that bitch on fire. Come on! At about 7pm, a bearded man in a dark suit walked into Tabby's McDonald's he did, he did not order an Egg McMuffin or whatever was on the menu at the time. He simply asked if he could call a cab to be driven to central Stockholm. It's 2009, mate. What are you doing? Just use a... What? That's weird. Until then, the pilot and his Bell 206 had flown undisturbed as the pilots, as the police pilots in Medinge were waiting for their bomb disposal team. When they arrived, they blasted the alleged bombs with a water cannon. Really? That's the solution? I feel like that would set them off. And then it'd be like, there's the, all those gallons of jet fuel. Upon inspection, the police realized they'd been fooled, baffled, and swindled. Yes, bamboozled. The supposed bombs were just empty plastic boxes fitted with red LEDs. Yeah, I mean, exactly what we expected, right? But also, you can't take the risk. Enter the Popo. Time for a recap now. An audacious gang of... I'm actually not struggling to follow this. I'm not paying too much attention to the town names and and hopefully that won't become super important later on. But uh, I'm following so far, but we'll have a recap anyway for the dim-witted among us. And all... 
The audacious, an audacious gang of robbers are taken out by surprise one of the largest security companies in the world and the Swedish police, performing a spectacular raid which had clearly been well-planned and well-rehearsed. They'd stolen a helicopter, they had pinned the police's own choppers on the ground with decoy bombs, and they'd stumped the arrival of patrol cars with caltrop chains. They clearly knew by heart the layout of the G4S officers and had meticulously prepared their escape route with those speedboats. They'd gotten away with 39 million kroner, but the loot could have amounted up to 150 million if it weren't for Lindgren's order to drop most of the money down the chute. I hope he got a raise, by the way. I don't think he did. He's just doing his job. But were the police truly and thoroughly baffled. Well, as it turned out, the cops were not so clueless. Around 7am, news of the heist was already spreading while the police were actively collecting clues on the event. Quite early on, they found out that the helicopter used in the heist was a Bell 206 stolen in Nortalgia. Yeah, I mean, how many helicopters are stolen every day in flying distance by helicopter of that G4S depot? It's not going to be that many. I don't think helicopter theft is particularly prevalent. Because it's like you steal a helicopter, then what do you do with it? You've got to know how to fly a helicopter. You got to, Is there like a black market for fencing helicopters? It's not like you steal a car and I don't know what, they take it to a chop shop, they chop it up into pieces and sell the pieces, or they ship it abroad to be sold in some dodgy country somewhere. Like, that's how car theft works. With helicopters, it's got to be a bit different. <laughs> the market for like, you know, because if, if you've got a helicopter, the cost of running a helicopter is very high. So, like... It doesn't seem like that would be common. Do you remember Mr. Alex Erickson, the TV producer, who had also been in a collision with the Toyota? Yeah, the dude who went to Malaysia and did cocaine. Early in the morning, he received a phone call from a reporter he had worked with in the past. The reporter seemed to remember that Alex owned a chopper in Nortalgia. Could it be that the gang had stolen his helicopter? Oh, wait. Okay, this could be interesting. I get the feeling this guy's involved somehow for some reason. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got his backstory about his cocaine in Malaysia. Do you think it's his helicopter? Do you think he's the pilot? Do you think he's the, the guy? And they're going to pretend that his helicopter was stolen? Alex replied that no, it could not be his. His craft was undergoing repairs and sorry, but he was driving to a business meeting so he couldn't talk right now. Again, let's stick another pin on Ericsson and let's take a look at what the police had found out. Their forensics team had actually gathered a fair amount of evidence. They had the chains and the caltrops, the blood spilt on the ladder. Add to that potential DNA traces on the sledgehammer and on the zip ties used to secure the ladders. If you... What's... Guys... You need to have burned all this stuff. Why aren't you burning stuff? You know what's excellent at getting rid of DNA? Fire, mate. Come on. It should have all gone in the heli- back in the helicopter with you. You should have pulled those ladders up and you should have burned them. And I know the ladders aren't going to burn, but all the evidence on them is going to burn when you blow up a helicopter full of jet fuel. Moreover, they'd scouted the area where the Bell 206 had landed and spoken to the McDonald's staff and even found some CCTV footage of the mysterious bearded man in the dark suit. All the evidence was funneled toward the office of the public prosecutor, Leif Gortz, working with the RKP, Sweden's National Criminal Investigations Department. The twist is that both Gortz and the RKP had a very clear idea of who was behind the heist. We'll have to step back in time now, so I'll kindly ask our legendary editor, Jen, to insert one of those harp solo sound effects that TV shows use to signal a flashback. Oh my god, yeah. Like, back in the day, like, 90s. And then the screen goes wavy. Uh, harp sounds. <laughs> back on the 27th of August, the Serbian foreign ministry had alerted Swedish authorities that a certain Milan Sevo had been in contact with one... Goran Bojovic. Now, these dudes do not sound Swedish. They sound, was it Serbia? 
was getting involved, these, sound, these guys sound decidedly Serbian. Mr. Serbo was a member of the Stockholm Mafia, Sweden's own organized crime unit. It recently relocated to Belgrade, Serbia. Wait, Milan Sebo. Oh, he sounds less Serbian than Goran Bojovic. But he, I don't know, it sounds kind of Serbian, doesn't it? Like Milan? That sounds, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. While there, he received calls from Mr. Bojovic, a 38-year-old Swede, son of Montenegrin immigrants. Officially, he ran a construction business, but the RKP had long suspected this activity was a mere front for something more illicit. Bojovic had asked Sevo for help. He needed logistical support to carry out a major robbery in Stockholm. The Serbian police could not tell when or where exactly the crime would take place, but they did know it would involve the use of a helicopter and the raiding of a large cash repository. The RKP approached public prosecutor Leif Gortz to authorize surveillance on Bojovic. Gortz was expected to coordinate investigations, and they did, appear, did not appear as a likely candidate. His expertise, in fact, was in money laundering cases. Plus, the idea of a high-strike helicopter may have sounded ludicrous to his rational mind, and yet recent years have proved that robberies in Sweden were frequent and spectacular. You see, the entire population of Sweden in the 2000s was about 9 million people, more or less the same as London. And yet Swedish Heights accounted for a tenth of all robbery losses in Europe. No way, Sweden. What are you up to? This may be due to factors such as centralization and relative vulnerability of the cash distribution systems managed by a handful of private security companies. The relative leniency of sentences as compared to other European countries may also play a part in attracting gangs of internationally sourced, highly professional robbers with military-grade expertise in high-speed driving, infiltration tactics, and explosives. Yeah, that's the problem. So, like, lenient sentences and stuff. I think the, the model of rehabilitation of prisoners is better which also goes counter to my idea that i've realized in the casual criminalist that i'm actually kind of pro death penalty which is fairly intense um people like always in the comments on youtube being like i like the it's interesting i like it's interesting to see the evolution of simon as he's done this show and he's realized he's okay with the state putting people to death <laughs> like yeah <laughs> kind of intense right um but also i do believe like for like non-horrible pedro lopez style crimes of course we should rehabilitate prisoners and i think this like model of uh the the that the nordic countries have has less recidivism and all of this stuff but the problem is if there's a dude and let's say he lives in america where it's like if you get well not america let's say i don't know china they'll put robbers to death right it's china and let's say he's really awesome at robbery and china's not as rich as sweden like i don't maybe it is these days china's pretty rich but let's say look there's lots of poor countries where they have horrible punishments for crimes right i don't want to name them because then you feel like you know you're picking on a country but let's say like there's some random asian country where there's not a lot of money and they'll basically put you you to death for looking sideways at the government or something like that right and but you happen to be an excellent bank robber in that country of course just go to sweden where there's more money uh it's going to be easier. Maybe it won't be easier. No, it'll be easier because there's probably less people with guns around. And also, if they catch you, you're going to get less time in prison. And prison is not going to be like Bangkok Hilton, where, I don't know, I've seen that locked up abroad show. You don't want to go to foreign prison in Asia. But in Sweden, they're like, ah, oh, yes, you can have computer in your cell. No problem. <laughs> I don't know what a Swedish accent is, so I just made it up. Um, Sorry, that was a massive tangent. But, you know, look. We can put that on the rules, can't we? The casual criminalist rules. 
if you're an excellent bank robber in a country which punishes bank robbery heavily just go to a country with more money and less punishment you're welcome today's episode of the show is brought to you by stitch fix guys you know shopping for new clothes it's time consuming it's stressful ah god damn i go to the store I said, all right, I just need a simple shirt. Oh, I don't really like this fabric. Oh, it doesn't really fit very well. Oh, I don't, this just looks too weird on me. I can't pull this off. You know, this is my vibe when I go to the, when I go clothes shopping and I just don't like it. Is that just because I'm a man? (laughs) My wife doesn't seem to have these problems. Uh, Why not let Stitch Fix do all the work for you though so you can spend more time doing the things you love? Look, when it comes to looking good, Stitch Fix has you covered. You can say goodbye to endless browsing and hello to fresh picks curated for your size and for your taste. They say uh, shopping for clothes can be daunting. I always say that shopping for clothes can be tear my hair out frustrating if I had any hair, which I don't. So, or maybe that's what happened to my hair. I was clothes shopping without Stitch Fix and I tore it all out. Just joking, it's genetic. So with Stitch Fix, all you got to do, go online, make a Stitch Fix style profile. You answer a few questions about what you like to wear and what you don't and what sort of new styles you're open to trying. And then Stitch Fix's experts, they go to work, they find items exclusively for you. And each piece is hand-picked, so it's unique for your size, style, and your budget, making it the best way to discover clothes and make you feel your best. Stitch Fix will then send you five pieces to try on at home. You keep what you like and you send what you don't. Easy. Shipping, returns, exchanges, all free and easy. So sign up with Stitch Fix and get the season's latest pieces for women, men, and kids. Stitchfix.com slash casual will get you $20 off your first purchase. That's stitchfix.com slash casual to get $20 off your first purchase. That's a limited time offer, by the way, and purchase within two days of signing up. And now, back to today's episode. Thank you, Stitch Fix. So detectives at RKP now had a golden opportunity to bust a gang before the robbery was committed. But Gord supplied the brakes. Sure, they could arrest Boyevitz and his associates based on the wiretapping. And yes, they could charge them with conspiracy to commit a crime, but there was no certainty that such charges would result in a conviction. Gortz and the RKP investigators agreed to continue surveillance on Boyevitz and associates until they decided to make a move, and then they would catch them in the act. Boyevitz kept in touch with Sevo, asking him to help, asking him for help in hiring a Serbian pilot for a project. Sevo's initial hire, however, seemed to back out from the project. Boyevitz even considered taking flying lessons himself. The RKP intensified surveillance on Boyevitz. On the 2nd of September, uh, undercover police officer Annika Person followed him to a small island off mainland Stockholm, posing as a dog walker she was able to witness a meeting between boyevitz and two associates i feel like posing as the dog walker is about as subtle as the guy reading the giant broadsheet newspaper with two eye holes cut in it (laughs) and before you ask annika had taken along her small schnauzer to give credibility to the disguise where would it be very credible if you're walking an imaginary dog Sure, one may still pose as a dog walker without a dog just wander around with a broken leash a bag full of poop and a confused look on your face big question where you getting that poop from are you in that bag before you're going on your little mission but person was a probe. She recognized one of the associates at the meeting, Sharbal Sharo, a first-generation Swede with dual Syrian citizenship. Sharo worked as a PE teacher in southern Stockholm, but had a criminal record. However, Annika had never seen the third guy, a bearded man, and so she decided to follow him. She trailed him all the way back to Stockholm, then handed over surveillance to a colleague. The officer followed Mr. Beardo McBeardface to an office building where he lost him. Luckily, he was able to note down his car's registration number. One week later, Boyevitz rung Sebo and told him that he had found a pilot and that the heist 
owe his imminence. Was McBeardface the pilot, and when and where did the robbery take place? Based on hints picked up from earlier conversation, Gortz and the RKP detectives identified a likely candidate for the place and time, the Stockholm Orlando Airport. On Thursday, the 17th of September, back in 2002, three robbers disguised as a maintenance crew walked onto Orlando's runways, whipped, runway, whipped out their assault rifles, and held up a plane just landed from London. They left behind a decoy bomb to delay the police and sped away with seven million US dollars in cash. Oh my lord, what was going on on that plane? That's an insane amount of money to be carrying. But this time, RKP would catch Boyevich and Boyevitz and gang red-handed. They put on high alert their SWAT teams and helicopter crews are ready for the 17th, which came and went. But nothing happened. The RKP held their breath for a few days until that Bell 206 landed on a building in Vassberger. Gortz on the Hunt Gortz and colleagues had not been able to catch the gang in the act, but they could still chase after them. Priority was to scan again the transcripts of Boyevitz's mobile traffic. The morning of the heist at 8.13 a.m., the alleged ringleader received a very short message from his friend in Belgrade, Mr. Sever. The message read, colon hyphen capital O. In other words, uh, it's like a, a surprised face. In other words, that was totally amazeballs, mate. Oh, it's like, you know, like, amazed, surprised, like, <gasps> To monitor suspicious phone traffic and to trace the movements of the robbers, the RKP could rely on the expertise of Jonas Hiddleby, a geographic profiler. Hiddleby and his analysts trawled through 300,000 phone calls taking place in the days leading up to the heist, looking for patterns and clues that could lead to their whereabouts. Oh my god, these guys are making a lot of phone calls. Also, nowadays, when you do, like, text messages... They're encrypted, aren't they? So people can't read them even if they want to. Or is that just what they tell people? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Facebook says WhatsApp is encrypted end to end or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's not. Because, I mean, I'm at, it probably is. But it would be interesting if they just lied about that so that the police could catch more criminals. <laughs> interesting and uh, terribly unethical. He was looking for something very specific. A closed circuit. In simple terms, organized criminal gangs are smart enough to use only prepaid phones to make their calls. Users don't need to sign contracts to purchase these phones, which are supposedly untraceable and can be disposed of after use. Now, very well-organized criminal gangs will make sure that they use such phones not only to make calls, but also to receive them. Wait, 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 wait. These guys got burner phones and then they were accidentally calling phones that were not part of their like little burner phone circle? That is insane. And you can't use your burner phone to call your mum to wish a happy birthday. That's insane. Because then that burner phone is useless because it's linked to your mum, isn't it? Really? You plan this with the fake bombs and you don't know this? Really? I'm sorry. That would generate a closed loop of prepaid phone numbers communicating only to each other. Exactly, but this type of pro move is exactly what sly foxes like Hildeby are looking for. Wait, what? Then you've just got a closed loop of burner phones. And sure, they're going to know they're all talking to each other, but that's all they can know. The profiler and team eventually identified a closed circuit of 14 disposable phones that'd be used in the weeks before the chopper raid and had fallen silent the morning of the 23rd of September. Okay. What are you going to do with this information, though? Each call from the 14 phones had been routed through a particular cell tower. By analyzing the call's history, Hildeby was able to put together a timeline and map the raid's events, from the planting of fake bombs at the police hangar to the escape via speedboat. Hildeby's work had been a massive leap forward in the investigations, but Gordon and the RKP only had the name of a suspect, Boyevitz, and no one else in custody yet. Wait, so what's the advantage? He's found these phones. It's like, so what? You can't prove who those phones are owned by because they're burner phones. 
And I'm sure they destroyed the phones. At least, fingers crossed, they destroyed the phones. What, 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 what? What's, this doesn't seem useful. Where to focus next, or rather, on whom to focus? The answer was obvious. The most visible, most skilled element of the gang, the helicopter pilot. Elusive Mr. Chopper The RKP detectives cross-referenced the list of Swedish helicopter license holders with pilots who had used the hangar in Nortalgia. They then scanned the resulting shortlist, looking for any significant detail, and the officers did notice something interesting. One of the licenses listed a home address in the town of Logistero. Where had they seen this address before. They went back to the report of the 2nd of September. Remember when Officer Annika and a Schnauzer had eavesdro- eavesdropped on the meeting between Boyevitz and the bearded guy? The unnamed guy had driven away in a Peugeot, and his license plate was registered to an address in Logistero, the same address. And whose license was it? It belonged to a TV producer called Alexander Ericsson. Uh-oh. Yeah, this, this doesn't seem like... I mean, it's a criminal mistake, but it's like... You thought you didn't know you were being followed, so you drove your own car to this meeting and they tied it together. That is not criminals being stupid. That is just straight good police work. You may remember his name. Well, you should, since I asked you to put so many pins in that guy that he may as well be a voodoo doll. Yeah, it's the cocaine dude. Malaysia cocaine dude. Now that Gords and the RKP are two named suspects, they've decided it was time for some action. On the 27th and 28th of September, they arrested both Boyevitz and Ericsson, the latter just when he was about to board a flight to the Canary Islands. Boyevitz laughed off the allegations, simply asking for a lawyer. Ericsson was no more cooperative. We could paraphrase his answers to questioning as the following. Mr. Boyevitz, who... Never heard of him. Never met him. And me? Piloting helicopter for eyes? Impossible. In the early hours of the 23rd, I'd relapsed into my old drug habits. And I even had a collision with a Toyota while driving my Audi. I have timestamp photos to prove it. <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? Like, how do you know you were not <laughs> in the helicopter doing this robbery? Oh, because I was high on cocaine and I crashed. <laughs> lesser crime. When detectives pointed out that had been seen at McDonald's in Tabby, he admitted that he'd driven there after some early morning partying. Beyond that, Gortz could not extract further info from the pair. The Swedish laws prevented him from offering more lenient sentences or immunity in exchange for a confession. But another breakthrough would come from cooperation between patrol officers and the geographic profiler Jonas Hildeby. On the 27th of September, Charbel Sharrow, right-hand man to Goyevitz, had been stopped for a routine check. The uniformed officers noted a receipt from a phone shop in his car, took a photo, and attached it to their reports. Ah, no! You've broken the burner phone thing! Ah, dude! Why? Don't get the receipt, or get the receipt and burn it, or throw it in the trash somewhere. No, just burn it. I know it seems extremely unlikely that the police are going to go through all of the trash bins near to the phone shop where you bought this, but just in case, burn it. Why not? Burning is such a good tool for criminals. If you're unsure, burn, burn, burn. The receipt listed the purchase of five prepaid cell phones and five SIM cards. No, you buy the burner phones at different shops with cash. That's how everyone knows this. If you've just, I mean, if you've watched like three episodes of Breaking Bad, you know this. Come on. Hildeby compared the five mobile phone numbers to those of the closed circuit that he had identified, and bingo, one of them had been used during the heist. The RKP had found a third name suspect. In early October, forensic analysis provided yet more names. Remember the guy who had dropped the fake bombs at the police helicopter base? He had set his tools and gloves on fire, or so he thought. A fire brigade had put out the bonfire on time for DNA to be retrieved. Come on. 
guys. You gotta burn, not just burn, burn properly. Use kerosene. Carry a barbecue lighter fluid with you and throw it all on there. And then when you're done, throw the whole bottle on there because you don't need it anymore. And also it will add accelerant to the fire. Brilliant. And more DNA was recovered from rubber bands inside the bombs used during the heist. Why are you touching those? If you're making a bomb, a fake bomb for a heist, do it with gloves on. Come on. Come on, you know better. Database searches revealed the names of Nemanja Alec and Mikhail Sodogran, a friend of Charo's. Next, CSI Stockholm analyzed the drops of blood found on the ladder at the G4S depot, which gave the name of an old acquaintance of the police. He was a Swede national of Iraqi origin called Safar Karum. In 2000, his crew had stormed the Swedish National Museum, stolen two Renoirs and a Rembrandt, and escaped via a speedboat. Police cars had been stumped by, guess what? chains and caltrops. Kadam had managed to leave the country after the helicopter heist, but justice eventually caught up. In January 2010, he was arrested in the Dominican Republic and then extradited to Sweden. The march of justice proceeded inexorably. Look, dude, I'm assuming if you're Iraqi and you fled to, like, so- you, you, you're not just going on holiday to the Dominican Republic, are you? So why the fuck aren't you in a country that doesn't extradite to Sweden? <laughs> this start- I started off being quite impressed with these criminals. And I think, at least from what Arnaldo told me, people were like more impressed with the criminals and not impressed with the police. And on this one, I'm like, holy shit. I'm impressed, super impressed with the police. And I've gradually become like, these criminals are kind of idiots, aren't they? Not too bad of a payday. By summer of 2010, Gortz and the RKP had charged 10 suspects. They had even unveiled Ericsson's little trick. The collision with the Toyota had been staged, another accomplice had been driving his Audi. Why? Why are you getting this other guy involved? Oh, because you're not actually there, of course, are you? The trial began in early August and went on for six weeks. The prosecutors proved how every time Boyevitz and Charo had used their work prepaid phones, the signals were just centimeters away from their private mobiles. Whoa! Whoa! I didn't know that, that they could do that. That's crazy. I'm the, that's I, I assume they'd have to make calls like together or something. That's really impressive. Wow. Watch out, criminals. <laughs> Zengors used the transcripts of Boyevitz's conversations with his Serbian contact, Mr. Servo, which revolved around the search for a pilot. Boyevitz, clearly a true master in handling bovine manure, replied that he and Servo had been talking about a construction project. Boyevitz wanted to hire a crane operator, and one of the candidates happened to be a dead ringer for Maverick, Tom Cruise's character in Top Gun. Hence, he referred to him as the pilot. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> That's quite clever. <laughs> Does he actually look anything like Tom Cruise, though? Mr. Erickson, the actual pilot, also put up a good defense. He came from a well-off background and had a steady job during the history of drug abuse, but he didn't have a criminal record nor clear motivations to participate in such a felony. <laughs> He's like a gentleman robber. He's like, no, 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 I'm wealthy. I just like it for the thrill. <laughs> His defense was conducted by star attorney Leif Silberski, who had once represented Julian Assange. Silberski argued that Ericsson wasn't a good enough pilot to pull such stunts. Plus, that night he had relapsed in old habits. He had been on a drug binge, which concluded with a severe case of the munchies at the McDonald's in Tardy. But Gortz was one step ahead. The forensics team had found Ericsson's DNA on the GPS device and some of the zip ties found near the chopper. And again... Fire is your friend, guys. Why didn't you burn the helicopter with all of it inside? Moreover, Annika Person, the dog-walking cop, testified that Ericsson had met with Boyevitz and Charo on the 2nd of September. In early November, the court issued its verdict. You guys are guilty. No way about it. 
The two accomplices who had staged the traffic accident were sentenced to less than two years each. The explosive expert, Sardegran, received five years. Safa Karum, the once art thief, received seven years for storming the depot armed with a Kalashnikov. And then Alexander Ericsson, seven years for stealing and piloting the Bells 206, Boyevitz and Sharo, three to five years respectively for planning the heist. These are fairly hefty sentences, though, considering that no one really was threatened with violence. I mean, the guys in the security depot could have been scared, but they weren't directly threatened. Um, these are pretty heavy sentences, I must say. Gortz pressed for more serious sentences, but his team could not prove the two had physically raided the G4S building. Finally, in a manager, Alec, accused of placing the fake bombs at Matinge, got away scot-free. His lawyer successfully contested the DNA evidence by claiming that he had loaned the gloves to someone else. <laughs> wow. On the 16th of February 2011, an appeals court in Stockholm revised these verdicts without significant changes. Ericsson and Cadum had their prison terms increased by a year, but the other sentences remained the same. That's the risk of appealing. It's like, I want to appeal. It's like, you know, I can make it worse, right? Wait, really? <laughs> Order the loot of 39 million kroner, almost 8.7 million US dollars in today's value. Gone. Disappeared into thin air, flown into the atmosphere like a manically revving chopper, possibly laundered into a front business or reinvested in the drug trade. Gort suspected that the gang included from 10 to 20 members. Let's go for 14 based on the number of prepaid phones, and let's assume they split the bounty into equal shares, even though some had more active role than others. That's more than $620,000 per member, USD. That's not worth going to prison for seven years for, is it, though? <laughs> not a bad payday, considering that the planning and execution took barely two months. <laughs> yeah, except you're paying for it afterwards, aren't you? I can understand how this may have sounded as an enticing proposition for a non-career criminal like Alex Erickson. Could such a loot tempt a law-abiding dad into giving away his life of frustrating furniture and Lego-inflicted pain? <laughs> well, any gang leader who is interested in new hires is welcome to contact me. I can offer a valid driver's license and mild proficiency with PowerPoint and Excel. But in hindsight, careful, Arnaldo, you writing down your crimes. But in hindsight, even a three-year prison sentence would be too much time spent away from those I assemble those Billy bookcases for. Oh, and Arnaldo's included an image of his Billy bookcase. <laughs> Oh, that's really sweet. I'll give it another go, though, after the kids have gone off to college. End of main story. That's really sweet. I like this one. There's no murder. Dismembered appendices. Dear Simon, I must confess that for this piece I don't have any. As I've already filled into the main scripts all that I could be said, all that could be said of the heists of heists. I will only reiterate my surprise at finding out how prolific the world of intricate robberies in Sweden, a country seldom associated with flamboyant crimes, is. I can also add that the story had been has been considered for a Netflix adaptation since 2018 with Jake Gyllenhaal in the role. But it's yet to appear on our screens. This would be great. Come on. Finally, I would like to use this space to test my psychic capabilities. In a previous episode, I touched upon the CIA's experiments with psychic capabilities, the infamous Stargate project. Inspired by this experience, I have projected my astral body to predict what tangents and rants you may have gone on while reading the scripts. Oh, no. He's going to nail them, isn't he? I can tell. Oh, sh Okay, I'm going to enjoy this, though. Here's a list. I'll invite you and the listeners to confirm how many of these I accurately predicted. Uh, number one, a tangent about Ikea. <laughs> Including a personal story of wasted hours during a weekend to select the perfect bookshelf or a plant holder for Peter. Peter is my plant pot that I have on a set for another studio uh, show I do. Um, well, you got the Ikea bit right, but not about selecting perfect bookshelves, but about the assembly. 
I'll give you half a point. Amusing about security guards and why do they commit to such a dangerous job? Again, I'll give you half a point because we definitely had tons of uh, asides about security guards. And aside about personal frustrations with Lego, again, I'll give you half a point because it was Duplo Arnaldo. Amazement is how prolific Swedish robbers appear to be. Yeah, nailed that one. That one was crazy. Full point. An anecdote about taking flying lessons, including pros and cons of light planes versus helicopters. No, because I haven't been taking my flying lessons because... I took the flying lessons, like, I generally, like, once a year, twice a year, I'll get very frustrated with work, and I'll be like, I can't do it anymore, I just want to quit. <laughs> I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it usually lasts throughout a week, and I'm just like, I just don't really go to work, I go to work, like, half a day, I don't really try. And then about two weeks later, I'm, like, pretty, like, what was wrong with me? I'm back at work, enjoying it, times are good. And during those weeks, I tend to be like, I should do something nice for myself. And normally that involves like going on a little trip, going to the movies. And I was like, no, I'm going to sign up for pilot lessons, which I've always wanted to do and still want to do. And uh, basically I did that. And then I realized, good Lord, with two small children and I have a pretty heavy job. I mean, I have the lightest job in the world, but I tend to need to work quite a lot because I make quite a lot of videos. It hasn't really been possible. I haven't had a flying lesson in six months, unfortunately. Number six, dismay at how difficult Swedish names are to pronounce. No, I'll give you half a point for that because I just gave up. <laughs> Number seven, a nostalgic reverie about old prepaid mobile phones. No, we didn't have that. We didn't have that one. I don't really have any nostalgia for prepaid mobile phones. They were a pain in the scratching these things to like put in a number. Number eight, surprise at the competence of the police work or uh, with or without the use of the epithet legends. Yeah, I probably did call the police legends, didn't I? We'll give you a point for that one. Number nine, a good chuckle about the ship naming competition won by Boaty McBoatface. No, I just chuckled at it because I got the joke and I didn't explain the joke. Uh, half a point or zero points? I don't know. Number 10, more rules to add to the list of how to not commit crimes. I can venture a few. Letter A, assume you're always being wiretapped. No, but uh, we definitely had lots of crimes, lots of rules being added. B. Conduct your meeting somewhere private. Number C. Don't trust prepaid phones. D. Always wear gloves from preparation to execution. Well, you got D. There was always wear gloves. Uh, I didn't say don't trust prepaid phones, but now about them being close to your main phone, don't trust prepaid phones. Good lord. Number 11. A rant about the idiocy of using state funds to train psychic secret agents. Nah, we didn't get that. Please confirm if I've guessed more than five. In that case, I may seriously consider another line of work. I reckon with all the half points, you definitely added up to five on now, though. Perhaps a mail for my services to Mr. Gortz and the RKB, should they have a face, should they have to face an even more competent gang, one perhaps that has learned some lessons from this show. One last point before I clock off. I'd like to shout out a regular viewer of The Casual Criminalist, as well as some other channels within the Whistlerverse. Someone called Ignition FR, regularly and painstaking. Oh, I know this guy! This is the guy who always does the, like, chapter headings. He's always, like, you know, three minutes in, and he's like, dismember depend or like 30 minutes in he's like dismember dependencies all of these all the way through i don't know how he does it every video good lord man <laughs> thank you allowing other viewers to revisit their favorite bits dear friends thank you for your dedication if you join the first letters of this episode's heading together you'll find an apt epithet to describe you note to simon is a recap of the chapter headings just in case looters from the skies enter the police courts ah oh, it spells legends legends this has been an episode of Casual Criminals. Thank you so much for watching uh, or listening. If you're on a uh, podcast, leave a review, leave a like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time.
Hey, and also, these heist episodes never get as many views, and I really like doing them. So how about you share this with a friend and be like, go watch this. Get those view counts up. Because I know if you're here at the end, you really liked them. Share this podcast with a friend. It's uh, like the least organic way of getting, uh, like, you know, generally I get most of my views just because YouTube algorithm decides to show videos. But hey, telling a friend can't hurt. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.